Welcome to the sermon podcast for First Christian Church of Warsaw, Indiana. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Please visit us at fccwarsaw.com to learn more about our church or to make plans to be with us on a Sunday morning. Again, that's fccwarsaw.com. There's a German artist by the name of Holman Hunt who created a painting in the early 1870s that he titled The Shadow of Death. And as you look at the, up here on the screen, you can see what he depicts is Jesus in the carpenter shop after a long day of work, and then Jesus stretches. And as he does, he casts this dark shadow of a cross. And down in the left, lower left corner of the painting, his mother Mary, who is leaning on the gifts of the wise men or the magi, apparently, she's quite startled by what she sees. I think it could really be said that all of Jesus' life was lived in the shadow of the cross. He was born to die, born for the moment that we're observing tonight. And the cross is absolutely 100% central to the Christian faith. What happened there is central to our salvation because it's there that Jesus purchased our salvation. It's there that he died for our sins. The gospel writer Luke, in the 23rd chapter of his gospel, tells us about what happened on Good Friday. And he records it like this. As the soldiers led him away, as they led Jesus away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And this place called the Skull, that's also known as Golgotha or Mount Calvary, it's, the hill, it's a hill outside of Jerusalem where Romans crucified people. It was an appropriate place for death because of its unique geological formation. It actually looks kind of like a skull. As you see its picture up here, um, you can see kind of the, the holes in the face and a bit of a nose. And so apparently they crucified people there in front of that hill so that as passers-by would be able to be quite terrified by what they saw. So it was here that three crosses were put up on Good Friday, two for criminals and one for Jesus. And the soldiers, as we know, would pin the men down, lay them down flat next to the cross and stretch their arms and their hands out wide. And typically it was two swift blows of the mallet, the first one to get the spike through skin and the second one to get it all the way through the wood. They would do that on the hands and then they would do that for the feet as well. They'd put the cross upright, and then they would just leave the people there to die. And I hear something like that, and in my gut, I'm just like, who thinks of stuff like that? Really, right? I mean, who conjures up something that horrific? What kind of a depraved mind does it take to think of something that humane, that brutal, that excessively unnecessary just to put somebody to death? I mean, there's, there's a way to execute a person and just get it over with quickly, but this was over the top. I mean, imagine the brainstorming session that would have gone on, on in for something like this. People sitting around like, hey, let's devise the longest, 
most drawn out way to allow somebody to experience the maximum amount of pain for the longest period of time before they actually die. And here's what they came up with. Boggles the mind. It's awful. If this were happening outside the First Christian Church building tonight when we left, like if we had to walk past people being crucified, I'm not sure most of us could do it. I mean, just the sight of it, the the sounds of it taking place, we couldn't tolerate it, to watch it or hear it. Some of us would probably rise up with righteous indignation and say, this is so unjust, something needs to be done about it. It's awful. So we couldn't tolerate it, but Jesus endured it. And he endured it willingly. Now, I think it's important to reflect on some of the violence that was part of a crucifixion and part of the brutality of what happened to Jesus on the cross, if only to hear fully the impact of the very first thing that Jesus said after he's pinned to the cross and after they raised the cross upright. Here's the next verse out of what we were reading here in Luke chapter 23. Here's the first thing Jesus said after they put the cross upright and he's nailed there. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I would imagine the calloused ears of those Roman soldiers who had done a lot of crucifixions, they'd probably heard a lot of things come out of men's mouths as they were crucifying people. Probably a wide variety of very unsavory things I'm sure they had heard through the years, but they'd never heard anything like that. Guarantee it. They'd never heard anything like that. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus knew what they were doing, but they didn't know. Jesus knew that they were destroying the life of God in the flesh. They didn't know that. Jesus knew that they were rejecting God's gift of salvation, come here to earth. Jesus knew that they were being cruel to their creator. Jesus knew that they were killing an innocent man. Jesus knew that as they nailed his hands that... These were the hands that actually helped form the world, and these were the hands that healed. These were the hands that served the poor and the needy, and these were the hands that raised people to life. They were also the hands that at a moment's notice, if they wanted to change the situation that was going on in the crucifixion, could in an instant. Jesus knew what these guys were doing, but they didn't know all this. And Jesus asks his father to forgive them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, if that had been you, hanging on the cross with nails in your hands and your feet, what would have been maybe the first thing that came to your mind to say (laughs) when you're hanging upright, looking down at the people that just nailed you there? I'm not sure what I would have said probably should be repeated anywhere. And yet... Jesus asks for their forgiveness. We don't typically react all that well, do we, when we're treated unjustly for something we didn't do. And here's Jesus in a stunning statement in the the face of the most horrific violence and the most unimaginably horrible form of torture and persecution, looking right out at them and saying, Father, forgive these people. They just don't know what they're doing. It's an amazing statement. It's an amazing statement, actually, of hope for us. 
It's a statement of hope. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's a statement of hope for us because we don't fully comprehend what we're doing when we sin either. Now, that's not to say we don't know that we're sinning or that we're not responsible for our actions because quite often we really do know good and well in the moment that we are sinning when we're doing it and we're also held responsible for our sins because of God's justice. But yet Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And what we need to recognize is that we never fully comprehend the far-reaching implications of what's going on when we sin either. We really don't know in the fullest, deepest extent what we're doing when we sin. The depth of the harm and the depth of the hurt, we, we don't fully understand how much that would pierce God's heart or what it does to his creation in total, what it does to others, what it even does to ourselves. We just don't fully comprehend in a full cosmic or full kingdom of God perspective what it truly is that we're doing when we sin. How could we fully comprehend all of that? Only God has that knowledge. The original sin in the Garden of Eden, well, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they were separated from God. They were separated from creation. They were separated from one another. All because of eating some fruit, they were told not to eat. How could they have known? How could they have known what they were doing in a total sense? What would result from that action? They, they didn't know. And similarly, we have no idea, really, truly, what we're doing in a total big picture sense when we sin. It's pretty massive, but we don't know it in totality. We know it's something that God doesn't appreciate, but we never really fully can comprehend what happens in the world as a whole as a result of our sin. We get some clues from the Bible Isaiah 59, verse 2, trouble is your sins have cut you off from God. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. Psalm 5, 4, God cannot dwell with the wicked. Other scriptures talk about sin being something that God hates, something that's detestable to him, something that displeases him. James 4, 4 says that sin makes us enemies of God. And so we may know at some level that it's wrong to gossip. We may know that it's wrong to lust. We may know that it's wrong to love ourselves more than our neighbors. We may know that it's wrong to leave conflict unresolved. But yet we have no idea when we, when we do those kinds of things what's happening in the cosmos as a whole. We really don't know what we're doing. But one thing, one thing points out how absolutely awful sin must be to God. And I like what John Stott says in his book, The Cross of Christ. He says, our sin must be extremely horrible. Nothing reveals the gravity of sin like the cross. The cross. You want to know what God thinks of sin? Look at the cross. The cross tells us this is really, really serious stuff to God. So when Jesus says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, First and foremost, he, he's saying this, of course, to those that are there persecuting him, the ones that are actually crucifying him in that moment. But he also, he also guys, he means us. Father, forgive them. They don't really know what they're doing. They, they don't know the full impact of what, of what sin does cosmologically or kingdom-wise. They, they really don't know that. Father, forgive them. 
So maybe you can see why this is a statement of hope that Jesus offers from the cross. We don't fully comprehend in totality, big picture wise, what we're doing when we sin. But it's also a statement of hope for us because we can fully trust Jesus to be compassionate towards sinners. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And when he said that, he was modeling what he taught. You might remember that we we went through the Sermon on the Mount uh, quite extensively here for a few months here at First Christian Church on our Sunday mornings. And when we were in Matthew chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount, there's a moment where Jesus said this. You've heard that it was said, love your enemies, love your neighbors and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Like Jesus would never ask us to do something that he himself was unwilling to do. And in the very moment he's being persecuted, he shows love toward his enemies by saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Wow, Jesus, you're showing us the very thing that you asked us to do. When Jesus is on the cross, it's like his full heart for sinners is on display. Throughout his life leading up to that moment, he had certainly shown compassion to sinful people, whether it had been to a woman caught in adultery, to a tax collector named Zacchaeus, to a woman so ashamed of her sin she was weeping at Jesus' feet, or to Peter who denied knowing him. But that same compassion is on display at the cross for his persecutors, and it gives us a lot of hope too because Jesus was asking for the forgiveness of those men who crucified him in that moment. And in that moment... God was also providing the way for you and me and everybody in the world as well to be forgiven. For people who could never fully comprehend the far-reaching implications of their sin, for people who could never fully comprehend just how much they're wandering without Jesus, just how lost they are without him, just how far they are from God without being forgiven. Those are the folks that Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't completely know what they've done with this sin thing. Forgive them. So Jesus died in our place, and now forgiveness is available to all of us through him. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. You want to read this verse out loud with me? It's a good one. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Friends, that's only possible because of the cross. There's an old Calvin and Hobbes cartoon strip that I, that I saved, and um, here it is up on the screen. Calvin says to Hobbes, he says, I feel bad that I called Susie names and I hurt her feelings. I'm sorry I did it. Hobbes says, maybe you should apologize to her. Calvin says, I keep hoping there's a less obvious solution. I wonder how many people know of the cross of Jesus, but keep looking for a less obvious solution for forgiveness. I wonder how many people know of the cross, but are looking for maybe a less obvious solution to fix their separation from God or a less obvious solution to give them peace in their hearts. But friends, the cross is the obvious thing. The cross shows us that God loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. It's the obvious solution. 
The cross of Jesus is central, and his words there are a source of hope. We don't fully comprehend maybe what we're doing when we sin in totality, but we can fully trust Jesus to be compassionate towards sinners. I really like how Tim Keller says this. He says, the gospel is this. We're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the very same time, we're more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Well, you should have received when you came in a a pen with a little piece of paper attached to it. And if you've not gotten that yet, uh, at the stand-up table there by the entrance, you can certainly grab one of those now because you're going to need it here for this next thing that we're going to do. We're going to give you some time just to write a note to Jesus. Let me give you a a few ideas maybe here to, to spark what this could be. Maybe you could tell him, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Maybe you could tell him in your own words who he is to you. Or maybe if you want, you could confess something tonight that you know has really been part of your life that is sin and it's displeasing to God and it's something that he died on the cross for and maybe tonight's the night where you fully need to give that to him. So maybe you can write that on your note to him. Or maybe if you're struggling to believe in him, just tell him that. He's a big boy, he can take that. Just be honest with him where where you are with him in this moment. And then what we we want you to do, we're going to give you some time to do that here in a moment, but um, after that time, we want you to take your note up here to the cross, and we have a a couple people that are going to help you, uh, assist you, but you can nail your own note to the cross, put it on one of these two crosses here on the side, just leave it there. It's something you're giving to Jesus tonight. And then after you nail your note to the cross, we have communion prepared for you up here at the front. In the clear cups is a piece of bread, and in the wooden cups is the juice. The wooden cups uh, we ordered tonight from the Holy Land. They've been handmade in Bethlehem, and we wanted you to have something tonight to take home as as a reminder of Good Friday 2021. So that's yours to keep and take home. Maybe you'll want to display it somewhere. Maybe you'll want to write on the bottom of it where you got it so you can remember even a few years from now where it came from and what it's for. But that's yours to keep. But here in this moment now, we're going to give you uh, just a little bit of time to write your note and then come up and you can grab communion after you nail it to the cross. I'll lead us in communion together so you can just hold on to your communion after you get it. Uh, But just take some time here and reflect. Write your note, and then Jeremy and the worship team will explain to you kind of when we can start making our way up here. But this is your time, your time with Jesus. Just take a moment and share with him what's on your heart and put it on your note. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from First Christian Church of Warsaw, Indiana. We invite you to join us for worship on an upcoming Sunday morning. Check out our website at fccwarsaw.com for more details and information. Again, that's fccwarsaw.com.